Our podcast is Fantastical Truth, yet even seeking the truth can lead us into some shadowy places. How can we discern these conspiracy theories without rejecting the truth that humans do often plot secretly or without falling into the trap of Gnostic secret knowledge? Mike Duran, author of the new nonfiction book, Christians and Conspiracy Theories, will sneak into the studio. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth Out in the Open, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm E. Steamer Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell reminding you that the truth is out there, but only if you believe the science. And this is episode 162, How Can Christians Engage Wisely with Conspiracy Theories? And we'll be joined by author Mike Duran. I already know that this episode topic is going to bring in some new listeners who might assume that this is all we talk about on Fantastical Truth, conspiracies. I have some family members and friends who I think that is the only kind of podcast that they listen to. True crime, conspiracies, what they don't want you to know, all of the clickbait, things like that. Fantastical Truth is a little different. Uh, We do believe in truth as revealed in Scripture, but Scripture also reveals that human beings do plot secretly, uh, our description there referenced a a famous psalm that asked, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, but emphasize the sovereignty of our God? So our guest uh, coming in in just a few minutes, Mike Duran, will be emphasizing the same. He's got a new book out. We'll be plugging that, of course, but uh, we'll have some concession stands in just a moment about why exactly we're talking about conspiracy theories at Lorehaven. First off, let's stop by our cover sponsor for this episode. It is a returning champion, Enclave Publishing, and they've got a new book coming out in June, June 13th. Enclave Publishing presents Estuary, the first book in the new Oceans of Time series by Lisa T. Berggren. Lady Tiliani Forelli is the epitome of the she-wolves who raised her, an adept archer with a mind of her own. It is long past time for her to wed but she deems each young lord who comes to bid for her hand lacking. With battles upon their border and rumors of war growing louder on every front, her decision could secure her kingdom's peace or bring about its destruction. After years of waiting, revisit the world first explored in Lisa T. Berggren's best-selling Rivers of Time series. Coming June 13, wherever fantastic books are sold, pre-order now online or from your favorite bookseller. Also available in audio from Oasis Audio. Get all the links for Estuary by Lisa T. Berggren in the show notes for 162 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Zach, uh, there be wolves, uh, not just in that book, uh, but in this topic, which brings us to our concession stand. Just a few items here before we bring in Mike. Uh, As always, if we're going to talk about a topic like this that has some political applications or overlap, uh, we on this podcast want to focus on issues and beliefs, uh, not parties and persons. So. If you start to get nervous and think, why are they going so political? Well, we might be talking about religions that are often called political, but are actually religious and cultural. So just bear in mind that distinction. And as I mentioned, if you're new to Fantastical Truth, we are not a conspiracy theory show. Sorry to disappoint. If you go back in our archives, you're going to find a lot more positive content about Christian-made fantastical fiction. That is what we do. But Christians who are fans of these stories have also heard conspiracies, and it all relates to the imagination. So that's why we're tackling it now. Please don't at us with your favorite theory that we didn't talk about or that we got wrong. And by the way, just a personal grievance here. 
don't at me with your Nephilim theories either. Uh, we're not taking any more guess about this topic. Uh, it is something that we're going to narrowly focus on for this episode, uh, and then we're going to move on and maybe pick it up in another couple of years when there's a fresh batch of conspiracies. Who knows? Uh, today's guest, Mike Duran, is a trusted friend uh, who is also focused on other topics. He's been a novelist, uh, a fantastical novelist, written paranormal stuff. We'll talk about that in a moment. And that has led him to this topic uh, in which he has a special interest. Uh, Zach, any other concessions uh, before we move on? Any of your favorite conspiracies you want to share? Oh, yeah, I, I got a lot of them. Um, you, you know, Stephen, I've, I've been a fan of conspiracy theories and stories forever. Uh, when I was a teenager, we actually visited the museum, the theater or whatever, where uh, Lee Harvey Oswald shot JFK. And I picked up one of the books about, you know, the JFK conspiracies. And so I was really hooked on that. Um, I was given another book later that's just a hundred of the most common conspiracy theories, everything from Bigfoot to, uh, you know, dinosaurs leaving in spaceships and <laughs> everything in between. And so I, I just enjoyed that. I watched the X-Files. I listened to tons of radio shows like Coast to Coast AM. And, you know, even today as a believer, I like this kind of stuff, but mainly for entertainment. The truth is out there. Okay. But I just enjoy these kind of as an art form in some ways. There's a, there's one YouTube channel I'm not going to point people to, but it's basically one of those UFO conspiracy uh, YouTube channels. And I admire it as an art form because the guy is very persuasive, but you think about it for like 60 seconds, you're like, no, that's, that's bogus. I'll tell you why I like this now as a Christian, which is that it points us to something that we live in a supernatural world. And I think it's, Quite a bit of this is a reaction to hypermaterialism and secularism that's happened over the last few decades. And so I like to hang out in these places because this is where a lot of interesting people hang out. A lot of people that feel jaded by secularism and, and even a lot of other isms that are happening. And they have this instinct that there is something out there beyond just human society. And they don't know what to name it or call it or how to interact with it. And, and yep. Please don't summon Bigfoot to your house. Probably a bad idea. I have a heart for people like this. Again, I was a person like this for a long time that truly believed in a lot of these things. Now I just think that they are a good reminder that there's a lot more going on in the world than we think. All great points. And by the way, that doesn't mean that every conspiracy theory has uh, been accurately described. Sometimes the conspiracy theory turns out to be just a conspiracy. It becomes uh, transformed from theory to fact. Uh, we're already in trouble, though, because Zach mentioned the normie narrative behind the assassination of JFK when it's <laughs> obvious to those with ears to hear and eyes to see what really happened in the shadows. I would add one more concession before we welcome in Mike. Uh, I think this topic could actually be what you might call triggering to some people. Maybe you have a friend or a relative, uh, maybe became estranged from someone who fell too deeply yeah. down the rabbit hole. They delved too deep and awoke the Balrog of the conspiracy theories. And so you may not have that sense of compassion and even fun that Zach just shared about this topic. Uh, maybe it seems very sinful to you. Uh, let me just remind you that sin does not come from the thing that you get from the world. Sin comes from the heart. You can abuse curiosity about conspiracy theories so that it becomes unhealthy and dysfunctional and sinful. But if you are questioning the prevailing narrative about things, that doesn't automatically mean that you're evil and need to be rejected. So if you're not there, then take a break from the topic. But we're going to try to engage this here. Uh, with good faith as much as possible. And I hear a telltale whirring from the skies, which can only mean that Mike is on the way. 
Once again, let's open the studio hangar bay doors and see how he's entering. Mike Duran has just flown in aboard an unidentified flying object, a classic flying saucer now, possibly wrapped in tin foil. He is a novelist, artist, and freelance writer. Mike writes fiction and nonfiction. He's the author of The Ghost Box, which was selected by Publishers Weekly as one of the best ending novels of 2015, which is first in a paranoir series that continues with Saint Death and the Third Golem. He's the author of Christians and Conspiracy Theories, just released, as well as Christian Horror, released in 2015. His short stories, essays, and commentary have appeared in Relief Journal, Cemetery Gates Media, The Gospel Coalition, Relevant Online, Bewildering Stories, Rue Morgue, Zombies Magazine, Breakpoint, and other print and digital outlets. You can learn more about Mike Duran at his website, MikeDuran.com, or learn more about Mike right now. Mike, uh, glad you made it into the Lorehaven Studios. It's great to be here. Appreciate you guys inviting me. So the full title of your book is Christians and Conspiracy Theories, Investigating Alternative Truth Claims Without Buying into Fear, Fanaticism, or Tribalism. When we last had you on the podcast, you were talking about, I think, uh, paranormal stories. And I'm curious (laughs) what has led you from those kinds of obviously fictional fantastical worlds to this topic. Well, definitely a topic that I didn't choose. It chose me, Stephen. It chose me. <laughs> okay. That's very Calvinist of you. All right. <laughs> I I really hadn't uh, planned on writing about this subject. And I think in uh, from a larger perspective, as a writer and as someone who's growing as a writer, uh, I'm still trying to find my quote-unquote calling as a writer you know, what does God want me to write? And so I've always enjoyed nonfiction. I tend to, even when I write fiction, read nonfiction. I enjoy reading nonfiction actually more than fiction. And a lot of my nonfiction reading actually springs into or informs my my fiction. And definitely conspiracy theories is one of those topics that floats around you know, speculative storytelling quite often. You know, it's, I remember seeing uh, when I saw The Matrix with my son. I mean, that's the whole idea of where the red pill, you know, red pill, blue pill came from was a sci-fi movie, you know, that we're living in a an illusory matrix and we need to be red pilled. We need to have some event that takes us out of the illusion that we're in, you know, and so books like 1984, same thing where we're, we're living in a society that is, that is programming us or seeking to control our thoughts, our, our very view of, uh, of reality is being uh, manipulated by, you know, big brother, by the ministry of truth, et cetera, et cetera. And in fact, yeah, I was even thinking about it today, Stephen, this hideous strength by uh, C.S. Lewis. Again, this whole idea that there's a conspiracy, the NICE, the NICE group, remember? <laughs> National <laughs> you know? Institute for Coordinated Experiments from that hideous strength, yes. 
Yeah, and so they're plotting something. In fact, you remember it's quite interesting. There's a there's a, a dramatic uh, point in that book where uh, Nice ends up orchestrating a riot in order that their police could come in and take over the protesters and take over the the uh, the event there and stuff. And so it's just quite interesting. So anyway, all that to say is that uh, fiction uh, ha- it definitely has quite a bit of a share, its share of, um, you know, conspiratorial elements. But for me personally, the uh, impetus, I guess, to write this came from, you know, world events, current world events. I mean, really, if you had to talk about a red-pilled moment, the red-pilled moment for me over the last three, four years, and so much has changed over the last three or four years in in the world, but the red-pilled moment, if I could use that term, was the BLM riots. The turning point for me was that I had been sent home from my work. There was no understanding of when we'd go back to work. People didn't know what was happening. The um, uh, COVID protocols were in place. Everybody was isolating. All the stores, I worked for the school district. School district schools were closed. It's like everybody was holding their breath, like, what's going on? We're being told that, you know, to stay away from each other. You know, we were sanitizing everywhere. We were wearing gloves, hazmat uniforms to the stinking grocery store and everything. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, when the George Floyd protests took off, suddenly there was no objection to not social distancing and not wearing masks. And suddenly I watched, and it was really shocking to me. I mean, it was really shocking to watch the science, which we were told to follow. You know, follow the science. That's it, guys. Follow the science. Stay home. Social distance follow the science, and suddenly the science flipped during the George Floyd protests. It does that sometimes, you know. Sometimes the science is having a day. Well, (laughs) sometimes and often the science is actually being informed by the religion, Uh, whether past days when scientists had more of a a Judeo-Christian perception lingering in the background that there's still a God out there somewhere, uh, or maybe the more modernist version of, uh, or, or postmodern version of science, where you have this inherited materialistic tradition. But now I think increasingly you've got the science that's being led by the social science, which is being led by the religion, uh, which is being formatted often by particular activists, uh, particularly those who are trying to impose the religion that I call sexualityism. Mm-hmm. Well, and also there was a time where the science told us smoking is good for you. Uh, And if you have young kids or babies, you're pregnant, no big deal, uh, because the science was being paid for by the tobacco industry. And so there are often very real financial incentives for certain the science narratives. But I want to go back even a little bit, zoom out even a little bit more here. (laughs) I, I found this amazing article from this same time period, Mike. This is middle of March 2020 from Yahoo News, and it says, there's a conspiracy theory that the CIA invented the term conspiracy theory. Here's mm-hmm. why that's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> wow. Conspiracy <laughs> right. theory. This is just so meta. Yeah. So, and it, it it's kind of, it's not a terrible article, but it, it's kind of hilarious. It's like, 
was this written by the CIA? Like, it's just, it's so, it, it's amazing in, in how it goes to, oh, you know, the, the, the idea that the CIA can, invented the term conspiracy theory to control us, that's a conspiracy theory. It's like, uh, I'm not anti-CIA or, CIA or pro-CIA, but come on, they're a pretty powerful agency. Like, let, let, let's give them a little credit for, uh, you know, doing, doing some things. But this is more the mindset. It, it's more the mindset behind this that around the same time, Mike, that I sort of had my red pill moment too, of just like, why am I being forced to believe these weird things and being insulted and excluded if I don't immediately mm-hmm. believe them? And why is it that asking any kind of questions, even polite mm-hmm. questions, invites all this ridicule? You know, because I was trained to be a critical thinker. I went to school for engineering where we really much dig into things. And then, and it's, I went to school for a hard science, you know, where, uh, you can't just wish your way to mm-hmm. a better electrical engineering design or a better code to make something. Uh, it just breaks if you do that. And so, yeah, th- there's been this real weird infusion of honestly, just cult like thinking, uh, throughout our society. And anyone who disagrees is a conspiracy theorist. It's like, what? Yeah, there's so much in there. So, you know, one of the um, one of the things I talk about in the book is I use a Thomas, doubting Thomas, as an example. Now, you know, obviously we typically view doubting Thomas critically. You know, it's like I don't want to be like this guy; he's a doubter. But Jesus loved Thomas enough to appear to the guy and say, "Look, here's evidence." Look, here's evidence. He didn't rebuke him. I mean, obviously, Jesus did rebuke the disciples for their unbelief plenty of times. But I find it interesting, you know, that Jesus had compassion on this skeptic. It's also interesting that when Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, Thomas was still with them. So, in in other words, Thomas didn't say, I'm bailing on this Christianity thing. I'm bailing on Jesus. Thomas still had enough of a belief to put him into the group with the disciples, and Jesus loved him enough to give him the evidence and stuff. So anyway, I just use that to to more or less discuss the idea that God doesn't hate skeptics, and God does want us to think. And in fact, in many cases, there's God will provide us the evidence we need to believe, you know, but and that's a jump off from kind of what you mentioned, Zach, but the more I watch the, you know, getting back to the whole COVID deal, the more I watch the treatment of that, where scientists were being censured, you know, and, and we're finding out more and more about oh yeah individuals. I mean, the whole Twitter file things is quite, you know, revelation was quite fascinating that we're seeing how the government was working with social media and uh, te- uh, you know tech groups in order to censor certain commentaries, and when I saw that begin to happen, I'm thinking there is something big going on here. It's more than just some virus going around. There's something much bigger going on, and that really got me interested in the conspiracy theory stuff. And um, so, but but Zach, you're right. Where there was it was kind of the knee jerk response was if you didn't agree with a bit of news, you either censor someone or call them 
a heretic, call it fake news, call them a conspiracy theorist. And then when this started happening to Christians is when I really uh, became interested. And remember, there was that big, there was a, a point, I'm not sure if it was in mid-2020, when Christians began to be accused, specifically evangelicals, of being conspiracy mongers or uh, at least uh, susceptible, overly susceptible to, at the time, it was QAnon. Remember, QAnon was the big thing. Now, QAnon's kind of really dropped off the map, but at the time, it was, you know, evangelicals are, quote-unquote, Q-adjacent. And so the numbers started coming out, and so we had individuals, David French and Christianity Today, and all these different magazines, relevant magazines. You know, Christ, why are Christians susceptible to conspiracy theories or to QAnon adjacency? And uh, that, when I began to hear that, it's like I'm thinking, first, what the heck is Q? I've never heard of Q. And second is, I don't know a single person who believes in Q. A That's single a really event. important point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, and, and I'm a pastor, so, and I. You really have to go digging for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in fairness, Mike, and we had some discussions about this on social media, as I recall. Uh, and what's really important, folks, for uh, this topic's context is that uh, Mike lives in California. So you could say, well, Mike's way out there where, you know, Christians, if anything, evangelicals there. are vulnerable to other things, other social pressures. But then I could come along if I write for the New York Times and say, well, Mike, you just don't know how it really is in these uh, deep, deep areas of the South that I have either in my imagination or in my anecdote file where, you know, Uncle Bill and Aunt Bertha are all falling in uh, for QAnon. So that could be the objection there. But I think in either case, it's people who are way too focused on the types of people whom they either know or imagine and yeah. not actually aware of what most evangelicals or most Christians are actually believing. Well, in the QAnon thing, okay, so let me just say this about it. Yes, it, if you actually look at it, it is some really weird, off-the-wall, wishful thinking kind of stuff. Yep. There were people, for example, convinced that at the inauguration, the president would be arrested and the internet would be turned off. And you know, there were some really out-there kind of theories, okay? None of that happened, <laughs> but it's so obvious that it was being applied broadly as a smear against anyone that had, again, any questions about anything in the political process that they weren't comfortable with. And they were, they were, it was guilt by association. Uh, and you, you know, you look at the, the, the main event for all this. Okay. The January 6th protest slash riot. There were peaceful protesters. I actually know some people there. I, I didn't go there, but I know some people that were there on the peaceful side of it. Then there were the, the uh, criminals, basically, that were uh-huh. injuring and breaking things. But then there were the, the, the main figure, the Buffalo guy, the, the QAnon shaman. Okay, so first of all, not a Christian, as far as I know. He said some interesting prayer from the, the podium, but... Uh, he is a shaman. He's not a Christian. He's, he talks about his shamanic beliefs, not his evangelical beliefs, but somehow he's a representative of Christians. It, it's looking now like his case may actually be totally dismissed because now there's this footage of him being led through the Capitol. And there is, as far as I know, there's not footage of him breaking a door or breaking an entry. Now, there's, of course, a lot of debate about should they have even been in the Capitol? 
were they let into the Capitol? Did they, did the guards have no choice, but to let them in? I, I don't know all of that, but I know that this guy, like the cops could have let him out. I, I assume. So again, the, the story is changing as new evidence comes out. And, you know, to me, that's kind of where I, I find myself in a lot of these things of like, well, let's just wait for the full story to come out. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, I've been feeling this since the, uh, the Ferguson stuff in, in 2015 of just like, Hey, let's, let's wait till there's a court case. Cause I had just been on a jury for another case in 2013. And I, I know how this process works now from being a part of it. And I don't want to make a knee jerk assumption, accusation, belief based on one news report or one narrative that everyone's saying like that honestly gives me the heaps. I, I want to like ask some questions and you make a great point, Mike, that Thomas was asking questions. He was asking reasonable questions <laughs> and the disciples didn't call him a conspiracy theorist. Like, Oh, what did you think? <laughs> yeah. We all just got together when you were gone and made up this story right, and right. we're a secret society. <laughs> what do you think? And you know, Jesus gave him the evidence that he needed to believe and he did. And then he worshiped Jesus. Now here's the weird thing though. You fast forward to the end of Matthew, right before the ascension, it says that uh, some of them worshiped Jesus, but some doubted. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't get my mind around that, right? Like they've all seen him, but, but some of them still doubt. And I think that just speaks to the human tendency to just not, not always know what to think. And, and like, okay, I saw this, but I don't know now. And, and I even see this in the conspiracy space. I read these stories by people that have seen interesting things, cryptids or UFOs. And, and they're like, you know, I, I never told anyone about this because I'm not so sure about it. This makes me look like an idiot. Uh, people will think I'm crazy. I'm not into this stuff. You know, that, that, frankly, that's why I got so interested in all the Navy pilots that were seeing this. Cause these are people that could lose their entire career for, and be ridiculed out of the military and lose their uh, pilot's license even, you know, because that, that has actually happened to some commercial pilots. So uh, that's what I find interesting is, is the people that are sort of caught in between of like, I don't know what to believe. And we saw the disciples go through with that. And we, we even see a conspiracy in the Bible of the Pharisees paying the Roman guards I was just to spread a rumor yes. about how Jesus' uh, right, body was right. stolen. And yet somehow the news leaked and the gospel writer got hold of it right. and knew, okay, so this is what happened. The guards went to the Pharisees. My guess is just from a human factor, apart from any Holy Spirit info dump uh, in the inspired gospel writer, the apostles or the, the Christian community had a man on the inside. Somehow they knew there was a whistleblower uh, who let it out uh, that the Pharisees were trying to cover up uh, the missing body. Hey, there's, there's a story, there's a storyline for you right there. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm sure the chosen will flesh that out. Yes. I'm just thinking it's like the original clickbait title from the gospel of uh, Luke. It's like, here's what the Pharisees don't want you to know. <laughs> want you to know. Yeah. Hey, that'd be what? a funny Babylon B thing, you know, Bible <laughs> yeah. clickbait, uh, you know, verses or something. Yeah, just right around the next resurrection Sunday. Uh, well, we've, we've already crossed over into uh, some other Christian leaders take on this topic. And we'll go to that chapter in uh, just a moment. First off, let's pause for our second sponsor for this episode. It is author Herman P. Hunter with a fantasy novel called The Wizard's Stone. A young apprentice is sent on a perilous mission. To protect him, a band of mercenaries is hired and paid a fortune in gold. Their mission? To travel over sea and land to deliver a secret artifact to a king halfway across the world. A 
a stone wrapped, sealed, and warded with protective magic runes. And from the outset, they are hunted. By day, they are hounded by the followers of a dark and secretive sect. By night, an ancient evil stalks them in the darkness. Herman P. Hunter presents The Wizard's Stone, a new fantasy novel available at retailers like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple, Kobo, Smashwords, Google Play, and Spotify. Get more links in our show notes for episode 162 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Sounds like there's some secrets and wizards and skulking going on in the wizard's stone. But Mike, I'm curious, uh, you said that you were led to this book uh, after being red billed or what the other side would call woke. Uh, there's kind of two different <laughs> descriptions there. You got aware of the realities that you weren't really thinking about that much before. Uh, which leads me to my second question. Why some Christian leaders seem so nervous and maybe even avoid this issue? Uh, you already name-checked a few folks uh, that take a lot of criticism from Christians, I think rightfully so, uh, who will just act maybe unlike Jesus in response to the skeptical Thomas and say, ew, you believe that? You got too close to that? Uh, you're adjacent to this unfavored group, uh, the people that the uh, mainstream media would lambast on TV? Ew, I don't want to have anything to do with you. With the exception for, like, for example, active acts of slander, uh, and spreading lies. You know, scripture does warn about the tongue and about slander. Uh, it says that the tongue can be a, a ship without a rudder. You set fire to something you ought not set fire to. And then suddenly uh, the whole place is burned down because you weren't disciplined about your tongue. So uh, with that disclaimer that Christians ought to be careful about what they speak about, why is it that some Christian leaders are just so nervous when Christians will question the prevailing narrative? What is going on there, do you think? That's a very good question, and I think an important one for a lot of different reasons. I was recently in a group. I attend a charismatic church, so that alone will be a red flag to some people. Well, of course, he, he wrote a book on conspiracy theories, and he's, he's a nutter, you know? And so at the meeting that I was at, a woman gave stood up and gave her testimony, and I share this in the book, actually, in that she shared about how she allegedly died at one point and how an out-of-body experience. She went to heaven, she said, and she walked with Jesus. And she drank out of the streams of water and spoke to Jesus. And, okay, so I am by nature a pretty skeptical person. And so my first response, and when someone says that, is... Really? You did you really walk with Jesus? Now, here's the thing is that I believe in out-of-body experiences. There's one in the scripture, you know, the apostle Paul was whether he was in the body or out of body, I don't know. I don't he know. said God knows, yeah. Yeah, and stuff. So, and there's more actual scientific research and testimonials of individuals who have had some experience. Now, people want to say it's totally just neurological you know, uh, echoes or whatever, that's up to them. But the point is, is that I believe in out-of-body experience and I believe Jesus can do that kind of stuff. But I also, my first response was skepticism. I can't, you know, I had to lovingly 
you know, win, you know, give the lady a loving side eye. <laughs> Is that possible? You know, the loving side eye. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I've given that to some people before. Uh, in fact, some Christian authors, I've given them a loving side eye, whether or not they saw it. Uh, yeah. No, just to vouch for you, Mike, uh, near biblical foundations, despite going to a charismatic church and hanging out with all those weirdos, uh, you have publicly stood up and questioned at least one Christian author at a Christian writer's conference. Uh, for arguably teaching some mystical heresy. So this is something I think that you're ni- uniquely qualified to explore, whereas some Christian leaders, I think they just, they just don't want to touch it because it's icky, or maybe they're just not familiar with that. I think that more Christian leaders should get into this, especially if their congregations or their friends or loved ones are getting into this. Not so much because the person has just really, really resonated with uh, the pizza gate or, or whatever the latest right, theory right. du jour is, but because the pursuit of conspiracy theories, especially if it's leading to unhealthful extremes, is, I think, a symptom of something else. Mm-hmm. What is that person longing for? Why do they want to know these secrets so badly? Is there a sense of chaos and unfulfillment or even trauma in their life that's leading them to use these theories as a language to express that and then maybe get to what the root cause there? Uh, mm-hmm. Scripture doesn't say, for example, that Jesus was getting to the root cause of you know the Apostle Thomas's tragic backstory. You know, uh, Thomas's <laughs> mom abandoned him at the shopping mall. You know, and so he's always had issues with trust. And the Scripture doesn't say that, but you can imagine that maybe something like that is leading people uh, into this way of thinking. I think one of the reasons why spiritual leaders avoid this subject is because of those kind of rabbit trails. For one. Conspiracy theorism is so big. I mean, you're going from everything from cryptids to UFOs to governmental cover-ups to experimentation. We're talking about a big area of subject matter, and it can get really weird. Once you start digging into UFOs stuff, well, you had mentioned, uh, Zach, I think you'd mentioned about pilots. Well, my son-in-law his sister married a Navy pilot. And it was funny because when he actually first started, and this is probably about 10 years ago, one of the first questions I asked him, you know, semi-jokingly was, so what do you think about UFOs? And he kind of blew it off and laughed. After about five years, I asked him the same question. He said, there's something to it. Now that was after the TikTok, you know, the TikTok. TikTok, uh, yeah. TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. Oh, thing. there's conspiracies on TikTok too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about, I hadn't even thought about the, uh, the almost rhyme there between that social yeah. media and the candy. That's funny. But you know what I mean is that once, I think one reason that uh, teachers avoid this is it's a huge subject and each uh, subject has numerous different rabbit trails. Once you start, I mean, I spend some time just looking at the JFK assassination thing. I'd always had opinions about it but I'd never actually looked into it. And I would suggest to our listeners that that's actually one of the things that happens is that we form opinions based on uh, consensus or formed by other person's opinions without having actually looked at certain detail. It's, it's time consuming, but it's also more responsible to be able to give an informed opinion about those things. And I think one of the reasons why teachers shy away is that it's a huge subject and potentially gets into a lot of weird 
stuff. Now, as a spec writer, I mean, you guys, as a spec uh, prod, uh, podcast, you know that that stuff brings a certain amount of joy and uh, <laughs> energy to our lives to be able to say, yeah, let's give a whole. I would all, I would think a Sunday morning sermon on on you on UFOs or Bigfoot. I mean, I would be all in for that. How many other people would? I don't know, but I'd get a lot of energy from that. I just don't know how many pastors are wired. They don't think that relates to the gospel. I think it relates to Christian cultural engagement. It relates to Christian maturity. We're called to think critically. It definitely has a relevance to what's going on in our culture right now. And even just being able to explain the demeanor. What should the demeanor of a Christian be in approaching conspiracy theorism. That seems to be a very important subject. One scripture I've used a lot in the book was First Thessalonians. It might be Second Thessalonians, now I'm thinking about it. But anyway, the verse that says, uh, don't treat prophecies with contempt, test all things, hold fast to what is good. And that line about test all things, that means the lady that stood up and said, uh, you know, I had a vision of Jesus and I died and went to heaven with Jesus. Is that beyond me testing it? Is it? Should I just agree with her because she's a professed believer? And I think when it comes to any of our tribes, political tribes, ideological tribes, family, church, the everybody needs to be put to the test. I need to be put to the test. I mean, the, the best thing a person could do is is listen to me and say, you know, give me the loving side eye. <laughs> I don't mind that at all, you know. You know, and Mike, I, I think that what, you know, just what you've described is is a real attitude of humility of saying, well, I don't I don't know the answer to this, but maybe I can find it out. Let let's take a look at this. Maybe I'm wrong. And I, I think, you know, Stephen, to answer kind of the question of this chapter, why why do some leaders avoid this issue? Well, I think there's some simple reasons like, you know, it's just not my area of expertise. I don't really have time to go into this. I want to stay Church focused back on... home syndrome again. There's that well, too. There's some of that, but I, I mean, I, I'm just saying to be fair, I, I think there's good reasons why people right. don't want to talk. I mean, there, there's definitely some conspiracy theories I don't want to go into. Like personally, I don't look into the cattle mutilation stuff because ew, blood. And I, I have that vet kind of vasovagal reaction where I honestly just pass out if I look at or even think or talk too much about blood. So well, that's a good I avoid, reason. Okay. I avoid that for very personal reasons. So I don't want to make fun of anyone for, for avoiding certain topics. But the thing that has really bothered me the last few years, you know, uh, Mike, you talked about the, uh, the switch in COVID policies, for, you know, for the convenient reason of excusing the BLM uh, marches and, and things. And the hesitancy people have had about certain medical procedures in the last few years that we won't go into. There was a a, a very uh, so there was an article by Megan Basham that that went into a lot of this. Okay, about how Christian leaders platformed certain government officials and government policies and you know, medical procedures and said, "Oh, you know, you should get these uh, unless you're a bad Christian or a conspiracy theorist, and and stop talking about where this virus came from." And now we know a whole lot more about all of this. And again, this is not the podcast to go into all, all that. But what I think has happened is that a lot of these leaders have been sort of been backed into a corner where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I advocated for some 
some things and maybe I did it in good faith, but now I was wrong. Like they, they have to know they're wrong. So what are the options if you're publicly wrong? Well, you can publicly repent or you can kind of publicly stonewall and just try to hide and forget and that, that you said all that. Unfortunately, that's what we're seeing from some people. And that's very disappointing. Look, I, I understand the, the pain of admitting you're wrong to a wide audience, but that's why we need humility. And I just want to actually, I want to highlight a good example of this. It was Rosaria Butterfield recently right, wrote an essay right. about why she no longer uses preferred pronouns. And she talks very candidly about how it was the social stigma of not using them, the, the desire to please people, be on their good side, be the cool Christian, even though she didn't really believe it, but she thought, well, that's the right thing to do. And she was kind of emotionally blackmailed into doing a lot of that. But she stood up and said, look, I, I can't support this anymore. Here's why. Like she literally said, I repent of doing this. That takes a lot of dang courage. All right. But you look at how she was received. She was received very openly by all kinds of people that would, that would ridicule her previous position. I, I think Christians are much more willing to forgive and, and kind of accept people and move on. The problem is we are in a society that never forgives. Uh-huh. And, and we are in a culture that wants to burn everything and everyone down and have no forgiveness, just have uh, quote unquote justice, which is really just revenge. And so again, getting into why do people not want to go into this? Well, it, it's just so easy to get put into a corner with any of these things. Cause I, I mean, we've all probably seen the meme of like, I need new conspiracy theories because uh, all the ones I had have come true. Right. And it's like, I think we're, a lot of us are just kind of feeling this, like, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to take a hard stance on anything because who knows what's going on. Like there's so much garbage just coming out of everywhere. But I, I think that's kind of what's going on with a lot of people now. I've thought of a few other, hopefully better ways of handling this, and I hope to apply those uh, foremost uh, to myself. One last thought, though, about why Christian leaders avoid this issue. I think both of you gentlemen hit on this foolishness and naivete. Now, I'm not thinking in particular about anyone uh, especially, but there is a Dunning-Kruger effect, uh, particularly if you're a big evangelical Christian celebrity and you're just kind of used to knowing stuff wherever you go. And wherever you go, you're expected to know pastory stuff, preachery stuff, sermony stuff. If you can exegete Greek and Hebrew uh, with the best of them, then why shouldn't you also be able to exegete the news? Uh, and if people you trust have right. brought in this government leader or this public health official and said, hey, so-and-so would like to go on your podcast and talk about such and such and encourage your people out there in the evangelicals uh, to take this particular step uh, or ignore this particular theory or call it fake news or whatever, well, then why wouldn't you platform that person? Every single person in your orbit is saying, hey, this guy's on the up and up, go for it. Now, I said foolishness and naivete. Uh, there could just be an issue there of being legitimately hoodwinked. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. there's a Dunning-Kruger effect where you just don't know what you don't know. In that case, I think it is important uh, foremost to uh, take it back. I think a lot of people would allow that, uh, but also maybe be more careful about trespassing into this area that you are just ignorant about in the future. Uh, that's why, like Zach, you know, with you, like I, I avoid certain discussions about certain theories or conspiracy theories just because I don't have the time to get into them. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a prejudice against conspiracy theories. It's just an issue of not having the time 
to do everything. Like there's some certain theological issues that I don't pick fights with people about just because I don't have time to support <laughs> yeah. what I know or what I don't know. You know, like I'd have to do some homework about, you know, covenant versus believers baptism, for example. So I just don't engage with those topics. I think though, if you're a Christian leader in your congregation or someone in your congregation is engaging with those topics and you've got the time and this is part of your calling, then maybe it's not an issue of just being very online and deciding to tackle everything you see people chatting about on the social media. Uh, it's just an issue of dealing with that person in front of you and not shying away from them because, ew, the conspiracy theory stuff they're getting into smells too bad. Well, I definitely think that one reason why pastors or, or leaders avoid this issue as well is it gives strength to the possibility of conspiracies because now it is attached we we've attached this we've attached this level of nuttery to conspiracy belief if you're a conspiracy believer you're a nut you're an extremist and one of the claims Stephen that was being made about conspiracy theory believers was that there are violent extremists. This was a claim. In fact, I have a whole section in the book on that. Are QAnon believers extremists and and that type of thing? And I think that there's a real desire to avoid the conspiracy theory label and uh, just simply because we don't want to experience or appear irrational or extreme. It takes discernment to evaluate conspiracy theories or any other kinds of stories, which is why we need nonfiction books about fiction and real-life conspiracies like Mike's book, as well as uh, my book, The Pop Culture Parent, which is our third sponsor for this episode. It's a nonfiction book about fiction. Actually, come to think of it, I think Mike has an endorsement on the thing. It's co-authored with Ted Turneau and Jared Moore, friends of mine. And we explore how parents, guardians, pastors, any kinds of leaders need to discern the messy mix that is popular culture, all the stories and songs uh, that are drifting around in the air around us. What we do in this book is a little different from other books that either warn too much about popular culture or else say, hey, it's all good. It's all beauty and truth. If you know where to look, you know, teach your kids that it's all good. We actually go through and first define what popular culture is for, its purpose in God's world, why God even lets people make this stuff. Uh, and then we apply five major questions to these stories and songs at particular age groups. So starting in middle grade and then aging up as your children get older. And then when they're ready to launch off into their own adult roles, engaging the world, it's a unique approach that we take in the pop culture parent. I think you'll find that a very helpful guide to your pursuits, especially in the negative world that we're living in now, where lots of stories and songs are increasingly idolatrous. You can get The Pop Culture Parent from New Growth Press. We'll put links in the show notes for episode 162 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. So we're back after a glitch because obviously we were getting too close to something. And I wanted to ask Mike and Zach and myself how Christians can stop ignoring these kinds of theories and better engage these theories. I have some ideas about that. Uh, but first, I uh, wanted to pitch that question towards Zach. Yeah, so uh, to our listener, you, you you won't have noticed it, but uh, uh, my, my computer dropped out in the middle of the last section because, yes, I was on to something. I got too close. But this is a great question because I, I think there is a very Christian way, a very biblical way to look at these topics. 
um, which I, I know Mike has written a whole book about, and I'm, I don't want to steal too much of his thunder. The first part I want to say is um, there is a mental pain that goes with ambiguity that we have to acknowledge that when we don't know the answer to something, it's, uh, it's painful. Uh, it's, it's psychologically painful, at least, maybe not physically painful, especially because we live in the age of enlightenment, enlightenment, rationalism, where there's always an answer. Scooby-Doo always finds who was really, you know, behind the ghost or whatever. Uh, we're used to always finding the answers and there's not always answers to things. And, you know, so the first thing I would say is don't make a knee jerk conclusion. Don't jump to conclusions when you don't know, because that's more comfortable than not knowing. Uh, now, obviously, there are some things we can know for sure, but we may not always know the full picture. And with a lot of these conspiracy theories, what I, the approach I like to take is I try to look at what are the true things in this you know, area that attract people. And, and honestly, sometimes that hold up certain lies. We've, we've talked about QAnon. Well, <laughs> part of that whole theory is that there's this global cabal of, I'll try to make this family friendly, uh, people that abduct children for horrible things. Is there such an organized effort that's pulling the strings of every government? Uh, I really can't see any proof for that. I have definitely seen those kinds of crimes show up in actual news reports and sometimes involving certain officials. So yes, there is some truth to this idea. And the problem of course, is that people look at that and then they make, they make a leap, right? The, the conspiracy believer, I guess you could say makes a leap to say, well, if that's true, then what else could be true? And, oh, if it's being covered up, then it's definitely true. <laughs> and so it becomes this sort of self-perpetuating cycle of like, oh, they're hiding the truth, therefore it must be true. And, and that can become sort of this self-reinforcing problem. But the other danger is saying, well, because you can't prove the whole theory, then none of it's true. Well, that's, that's not wise either. But, you know, there is a reason why the thing that interests me is, is looking at why are people attracted to this? Like what, what is the concern that they have? You know, we've talked about trauma before, like what is their own traumatic experience that makes them very inclined to believe this certain thing? And you know, the X-Files actually did this themselves. Uh, Mulder, it turns out had a very traumatic childhood event that made him absolutely believe in, in aliens and, you know, men in black kind of cover-ups. So it, it's worth examining yourself of like, okay, why am I attracted to this? What are sort of the hooks that this has in me? But how can I hold on to the things that are true? Like you said, Mike, we got to test everything, hold on to what's true. We may not be able to find answers to everything else, but we can at least focus on what we do know. You know, I read so many books during this research process. One of the books I read was by Michael Shermer, you know, who is the noted atheist and he actually has a lot it was actually one of my favorite books that i read researching this subject but there was a point that he made and he was actually quoting alan moore you know the author of v for vendetta and watchman and moore was speculating why do people you know uh, gravitate towards conspiracy theory you know and he, his point was they want to find 
purpose. They want to find a plan going on in the world. And what Moore said and Sherman agreed with, there is no plan. There's no plan. There's no purpose. And it made me think about how categorically different some people approach conspiracy theorism and Christians do. See, as Christians, we believe that there is, a, for lack of better words, there's a conspiratorial arc to the universe. It started in the garden with the fall of man, and when God and when and God said the seed of the woman is going to war against the seed of the serpent, and we see that playing out through the entire arc of biblical history until the very end and stuff. So, as Christians, we believe there is a plan. We might not understand all the details of the plan, but God has given us, uh, you know, insight into. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul sometimes uses the um, phraseology of like uh, a mystery. The mystery that's been hidden from before time began is now revealed unto us. <laughs> you know, I mean, talk about conspiracy. It's like now Christians, we are onto something. We are onto something that involves invisible personages, invisible beings, powers that are wrestling in the heavenly places against us. Uh, you know, spiritual enemies, spiritual, uh, um, you know, foes and, and combatants and, and a plan that's moving us towards something very uh, historical. And so Christians should be interested in conspiracy theories for that reason alone, is that we, be- we don't believe that there's no plan to the universe. In fact, we believe in a capital P plan then is running through history and that we are a part of. That's one of the reasons why Christians have always, you know, made the mistake of saying so-and-so is the Antichrist or so-and-so is the Antichrist. Or back when I became a Christian in the 1980s, back then it was Chuck Smith and Hal Lindsey. And they're saying, uh, 1988 is going to be the rapture, 1988, you know, and all these predictions and things like that. And Obviously, Christians have made a ton of mistakes, but there's actually a good reason that we should be watching the signs of the times. Jesus said, you know, you can see the the clouds and see when the weather's getting bad. You can discern the signs of the weather, but you can't discern the signs of the times. So I think as Christians, we have permission to keep our pulse on bigger issues running through the context of history and culture. Yeah. Well, and what you said about this impulse to believe a secret plan, yeah, that that is more attractive than believing in random chaos. That that just disorder, you know, undirected disorder controls everything. It's it's much in a weird way, it's more comforting to believe a, a evil secret society is pulling all the strings. But I think, you know, both of those in a way are kind of a trap. And and it's even a trap to say, well, Satan is in control of everything. Well, okay, he's in control of some things, but who's in control of Satan? You know, like God is ultimately the one in charge of this universe. He has determined the times and places where we should live. He's determined a lot of things. Um, this isn't the Calvinism, Arminianism debate. Don't worry, everyone. But we know that God is in control because he's the creator and he's sovereign. 
where, where the rubber really meets the road is when something terrible happens. Let me take it back to when I was in college and 9-11 happened. I woke up, my roommates had left the TV on. I see the, the Twin Towers and smoke pretty quickly. We're, we're told who is behind it, what all happened. The weeks go by. A lot of people have certain questions about things. Not much of that was taken very seriously, in, in especially if you just look at it from an engineering perspective, like, well, how did this building go down? Like, how did the main Twin Towers collapse? Uh, from the temp, you know, the jet fuel and the temperature. Well, you know, I asked my father-in-law about that because he's a mechanical engineer. He's like, look, metal doesn't have to melt to collapse; it just has to bend. And you know, that once metal gets hot enough, the tensile strength goes down. And so, it, it jet fuel certainly <laughs> makes it burning. Jet fuel makes it very, very hot. So that's how you can get a building to collapse, and it didn't just tip over because it was designed to crumble on itself. So there are, you know, those are good questions, but there are good answers. What I did notice, though, was that there was a really good question people had, which was, wait a minute, if all of the hijackers were from a certain country, then why are we invading a different country? (laughs) Uh, what, What does this other country have to do with the country where they all came from? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to it. I, I think it's very political. It's very economical, and there's all kinds of things going on there. But the conclusion a lot of people jumped to was, well, this was obviously orchestrated by our own government. Uh, and, you know, the, the impulse behind that was interesting to study. It, it was this belief that there can't be people more powerful than us. You know, there can't be people smarter than us, that we are the apex country. Uh, you know, we are the apex society. Nothing could overpower of us without us allowing it to. And, you know, I, I just think there's a lot of arrogance to that, that Hey, you know, Pearl Harbor, we look at that. We look at a lot of things in history where we weren't always on the winning side. Uh, we look, look at Vietnam. So the, the theories about 9-11 was an inside job or whatever. Uh, look, I still have some questions too. Okay. But my point is that theory is trying to answer that pain of why weren't we stronger? Why were we so vulnerable? H- how come this happened? It, it, so these theories interest me because of how people try to answer that pain that they're feeling. And I do, I do think Zach, you know, we're, we're created to, we're kind of like pattern seeking pattern understanding intelligences. You know what I mean? It's like, we don't, we can't live with too much ambiguity. I mean, that's why people have, you know, existential issues is like, if I can't, you know, understand why I'm here or see a pattern to my own life, you know, we have problems. And I think that God's created us that way too. We want to, you know, we, we want to know, we want to seek things out. We want to understand, we want to connect the dots and that's not necessarily bad. You know, I think it's when our ideological presuppositions or like you said, our pain just moves us into territory that becomes it's irrational or, 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 you know, it's just not true. I think that there's several principles, uh, we can build upon here. Uh, that issue of people pursuing conspiracy theories or just theories out of pain and a sincere desire to know things. Uh, we know that God has put eternity and the desire to know and be known by God in people's hearts, but that we distort this because of sin. So instead of believing that now there is a divine intelligence ruling, uh, all of the world and the universe, 
uh, you kind of twist that around, you turn that into some satanic intelligence or the evil organization, uh, Illuminati, federal government, CIA, you know, alphabet agency, B, whatever. This can then distort that good desire. Uh, I think the other thing to know is that people, yeah, they're trying to fill in the gaps. Uh, they're trying to understand their world. Uh, and that because, especially with the internet now, uh, there's so yeah. many ways now to spread these ideas around uh, that I don't think a, a Christian or Christian leader uh, should necessarily discount the good impulses there, but we also shouldn't clean it all up and act like it's this uh, wonderful God-given desire. Yeah, well, and I think ultimately we're all trying to answer the question, why did God allow this? Right. Like, and, it, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, yeah. why did this terrible thing happen? Well. And, and so we, we try, I think that's really the most painful question. And, and it gets really personal when it's like, uh, you know, if, if you've got someone really sick in your life and it's really easy to think, well, they're sick because of the conspiracy of big pharma and the WEF and whatever. And it's like, okay, look, there's definitely some really bad things happening at high levels. But, uh, ultimately I, I think it's, you're upset that God allowed this to happen. And why did he do that? Like. I think for Christians, this is a very tough question because we do believe in an all-powerful, all-loving God, and yet we see a lot of chaos in society. And it's very hard to believe that God is still in control and, and that, uh, you know, as, as John Piper has said about uh, Genesis 50, verse 20, it doesn't, uh, Joseph doesn't say what man intended for evil, God used for good or turned around for good. It says God intended for good. And so there is, uh, again, don't, don't at me with the Calvinism stuff. Cause I, I don't even know what I think <laughs> about a lot of that, but, but the point is that like God really is in control, but what we see and experience doesn't always point to that. And so we're trying to make sense of that disconnect sometimes. And it's, it's really hard to question God. If you're a Christian, it's, it's easier to look at some other thing going on or just to think, oh, nothing's going on. It's God just kind of pulled back a little bit. In the book, I developed this idea of a, where it's actually a graph. On the one side of it is uh, the believer. On the far end is the skeptic or the unbeliever. In the middle, there's agnosticism. And I just call it the agnostic middle. And I find myself in the agnostic middle on more conspiracy theories than anything. Now, What's interesting is that more recently, the agnostic middle, the, the skeptical middle has, has been shrunk. In other words, people are forcing us to say the answer is either yes or no. The answer is you're either a believer or you're not a believer. You can't be a skeptic on this, Zach. You can't be a skeptic on this, Stephen. You know, you have, and you know what? I think that we need to become more comfortable with agnosticism in certain areas of our faith and in certain areas of life. You know, uh, we're studying Job at our church right now and the book of Job. And you know, the fascinating thing about the book of Job is that all these questions are asked and there's no, and th ultimately, you know, spoiler alert, there's no <laughs> real answer given other than, hey, God is totally in charge and he's way bigger than us. Mm. And I think that that's a posture we need to have when we're approaching conspiracy research too, that ultimately 
a lot of these questions, I'm going to say, well, I'm 10% there or I'm 50-50. You know, I'm 50-50 on Bigfoot, for instance. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but forcing me to take a side doesn't help the matter. Respect the fact that I don't personally have enough information to say I'm a believer, but also don't ridicule me for being partly a believer in a hairy hominid, you know? (laughs) I think that, again, it's just, where is the burden of proof, you know? like. Mm -hmm. And and I I think so often the burden of proof is getting inverted, and you know we we've seen this with a lot of uh, issues. Just a, this happens in apologetics all the time. People say something about the Bible well, that's not true. You know the mm-hmm. the uh, Ni- the the Council of Nicaea was a conspiracy to you know favor certain narratives that allowed them to hold on to power and blah blah blah. It's like okay, where is your proof for that? You know, like the, the Christians are too often backed into a corner and forced to defend ourselves. No, we don't have to defend ourselves from these uh, epistemological attacks. We just have to turn around and say, prove it. <laughs> like you're the one making the claim. You prove it. Um, and yeah, I, I think so, with, with the, with the conspiracy theory stuff, especially within recent years, sometimes it's, it's more on the. The, the burden of proof is more on the person saying there's nothing here. There's nothing to see here. Stop asking questions. It's like, no, I, I, if you're saying there's nothing there and it's, you've got to prove that too, mm-hmm. uh, because something doesn't add up here and you know, you can kind of trust your instincts to know when something's not right, I think. And not that you stay there. So I've got a few serious scripture texts as we draw to a close. And then I've got a, a fun thing. I want to keep it short, uh, as we, uh, as we finally end. First off, uh, Mike mentioned earlier, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21, which says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. I don't think you have to call a conspiracy theory a prophecy in order to apply that last part. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Another text I was thinking as regards uh, kind of the recoil uh, that some Christians, myself included, and some of them, uh, have to the weird Christian who believes in conspiracy theories or gets a little too much uh, excited about the weird stuff. And it's a favorite text from uh, the epistle of James chapter two. My brothers show no partialities. You hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, in other words, a smart, wise, elite evangelical, And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. In other words, that weird guy who's maybe a little too much into the Reddit forums. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's just an overall biblical principle of not discriminating in that way, throwing out the one guy who looks weird and smells bad. Uh, who needs Jesus, who needs the truth of the divine conspiracy, the true conspiracy, God's sovereign rule, uh, more than any of these other lesser messages, whether or not they're true. I just think that's important to keep in mind. And so is the article that Mike wrote. Actually, it's an excerpt from his book that we have at Lorehaven. We posted it just a day or so ago. Christians who engage conspiracy theories must first believe God's sovereign rule. So we've actually got an excerpt from the book. If you want to take a look at it before you get the book, Christians and Conspiracy Theories. Fun part, though, real quick, without belaboring the point, uh, I'd like each of the three of us to maybe give away the 
conspiracy theory that we're actually accepting. I'll go first. I don't think Epstein killed himself. Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> Pretty sure on that point. Uh, Mike, any in particular that you want to confess or admit to? Uh, to believing in a, a particular conspiracy theory? Or just theory. It's not, yeah, you, you don't, I, don't stigmatize the go, term. I'm going to go straight political. I have questions about our election, our elections and our election procedures. And so uh, I, I give grace to someone who says, I'm, you know, concerned about this or that. Uh, for me, the one I'm interested in right now, cause it's a technology thing is the, I, I think our banks are being intentionally demolished or imploded to bring about a central digital currency. I, I think, uh, I think a lot of power hungry people are watching China and like, Hmm, I would like some of that for myself, that, that kind of extreme control over people. And, uh, I think it's the back door to erase a lot of our freedoms that People can't take away through voting. That pesky constitution gets in the way. But uh, if everything is subject to a digital dollar that can be turned on or off at, at someone's whim, which we have seen in Canada, then yeah, it would it would be awesome to have that kind of power if you're a some kind of tyrannical person. So uh, I don't know what the answer to that is. I we definitely have to trust the Lord to provide for us. But uh, that that's the one I'm going with right now. It, I used to never pay attention to people that talk about the Federal Reserve, Ron Paul, that stuff. But now I'm like, hmm, maybe, maybe he was onto something. <laughs> well, this has been the final episode of Fantastical Truth, uh, the <laughs> podcast from lorehaven.com. Thank you for joining us for these 162 episodes. But now we're all off to various gulags for questioning the prevailing narrative and spreading fake news. Uh, but all joshing aside, uh, Mike's book, Christians and Conspiracy Theories, we'll have that link in the show notes. So where else can people follow uh, your various pursuits, Mike? Oh gosh. Well, I'm, you know, my website is one of my central, uh, hangouts, mikeduran.com. And then I'm on, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagrams where they'll be able to find the links on my website. All right, then. Well, we got your uh, flying saucer parked outside. Uh, the, uh, the aluminum foil is kind of cracking on the descent, <laughs> but, uh, hopefully it's still airworthy. So thanks for joining us, Mike. Thank you guys for inviting me. Thanks, Mike. Well, our thanks to Mike for coming back in and sharing some secrets with us. Uh, we hope that that was uh, highly applicable, especially if you yourself find yourself uh, vulnerable to some theories and or conspiracy theories or have a friend or loved one who does. Lorehaven doesn't get into all that stuff. We're mainly about fiction, but this topic was uh, uh, fiction adjacent, so too good to pass up. Meanwhile, uh, over on our Lorehaven mission updates, uh, we just had that uh, book excerpt from Mike's book that we posted just yesterday. Christians who engage conspiracy theories must first believe God's sovereign rule. So go over and check that out. Uh, last review we had was uh, The Lost Property Office, uh, middle grade uh, kind of sci-fi adventure uh, from James R. Hannibal we reviewed. And next we review uh, a fantasy called Arlen's Crossing coming up this coming Friday. We also have another article this week coming out on Thursday from Shannon Stewart. Uh, she has an article about the many versions of Link from the Legends of Zelda game and how each one represents a kind of really biblically-based, wholesome courage and other virtues uh, that kids of different ages and we ourselves uh, can appreciate. Subscribe free at Lorehaven to get updates about all that content coming out, uh, weekly stuff, and you can join the Lorehaven Guild, our exclusive Discord community where we engage in monthly book quests 
go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe. So for our comm station, I have a question I'd like to ask you, our listener. I'd love your feedback on what is your favorite story that has some kind of conspiracy theory in it? Uh, earlier in the podcast, Mike mentioned um, that hideous strength where there's this secret society, the NICE, that's uh, conspiring together to take over the world through this demonic science uh, kind of stuff. So what about you? What is a story you've enjoyed that had some kind of conspiracy going on that turned out to be true and it upended everything, changed the world when it was discovered? Uh, we would love to hear those examples. So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or go to the show notes page. There's a form you can fill out at the bottom or leave a comment uh, or find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and, and leave us a comment there. Next on Fantastical Truth, I am packing my bags and so are hundreds of homeschool families who are heading to Florida for the annual FPEA conference. So for our next episode, we will flash back to this Springs Teach Them Diligently homeschool conference right here in Central Texas. Zach and I were there along with a bunch of other uh, Lorehaven folks and adjacent folks. What growing challenges do homeschool families face in our culture what kinds of fantastical stories do they seek for their children? Zach talked to a couple of parents, so we'll play those interviews and explore that challenge. Meanwhile, if you're exploring the challenge of conspiracy theories or just theories, depending on how much you accept it, if you're concerned that the truth may be out there, but they are hiding that from you, then I think God has given you that impulse. We do believe in a gospel that involves some conspiracies. Uh, first of all, uh, the conspiracy behind the spiritual veil to blind our eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ. But then most importantly, the good conspiracy that God, our plotter, our author, has put into the universe to bring all things under his dominion and to answer all the questions we need to answer. We're not going to die not knowing all those answers. We're going to get them someday if our good Lord wants to give us to those. So we live in that hope as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.